This is Dr. Jacqueline Duget, and you're listening to What is Black Podcast, where we have conversations about raising African-American children and the intersection of race, culture, and identity. Hi, everyone. Welcome to What is Black Podcast. This is a special um, series of episodes. Um, Today's episode is part one of a two-part discussion about disciplined kids, and we'll be talking about spanking um, as a form of discipline and also the new American Academy Pediatrics policy that came out about effective discipline November of 2018. Hope you enjoy the conversation, and please feel free to share your comments um, on social media after the episodes air. I'd love to hear your thoughts about our conversation. So welcome to another episode of What is Black Podcast. I am excited to have uh, my special guest today, Dr. Stacy Patton. Um, so welcome, Dr. Patton. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Dr. Patton, before we get started on our discussion about corporal punishment, I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit about your professional background and who you are. Mm-hmm. So I am a... Uh, multimedia journalism professor at Morgan State University, um, trained journalist. I've written for publications such as the New York Times, Washington Post, Baltimore Sun, Al Jazeera, um, the Chronicle of Higher Education, uh, primarily about race and higher education, child welfare issues. Uh, I'm also a child advocate who, uh, whose work focuses on the elimination of corporal punishment as a uh, parenting strategy. Um, I've written two books on this issue with a primary focus on um, corporal punishment and its historical origins and evolution in the African-American community. So I travel around the country uh, doing trainings for uh, clinicians, uh, social work students, folks in the legal community, particularly those who work in juvenile justice and do trainings on cultural competency, racial disparities in child abuse uh, cases, foster care um, uh, services, and so on. So that's awesome. So um, before, you know, before we started our conversation, um, I shared that you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, one was because I'm a pediatrician and the American Academy of Pediatrics recently came out with a policy statement, Effective Discipline to Raise Healthy Children, that really, um, you know, the policy statement, you know, the AP does not support corporal punishment, right? So, um, and promotes more positive, more positive discipline or other, other strategies for, for disciplining but I wanted to talk a little bit about, again, you mentioned the historical context of the use of corporal punishment. But first, I guess, before we start, I think people know, but, it, but if you could just, just tell us a little bit about exactly what is corporal punishment. So it is defined as um, striking a child um, in, with the goal of teaching. This can include hitting the child on the backside with a hand or some other object. It also includes pinching uh, kids, um, popping them, you know, all the semantics that people like to use to describe, you know, um, uh, striking a child's body. It could also include things like making a child, you know, uh, kneel on rice. So you see those sorts of things in different cultures. Um, so it's, it, it, the basis of corporal punishment is, you know, using fear, pain, and violence 
um, to teach a child. Now, just getting back to the to your mentioning that that there's like a historical context, and especially since you know the podcast is geared to talking you know, talking about parenting African-American um, and black children. Just wonder if you could share your research on how, how our history has impacted this form of discipline by many in our community. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of um, African-Americans uh, believe that um, corporal punishment has uh, been a parenting tactic that has, uh, uh, you know, extended into every culture um, that every ethnicity, every racial group has practiced uh, this tactic with kids. And I've even had people who argue that this parenting strategy was something that we bought over from Africa. Um, there's no evidence whatsoever that this is true. Uh, the exact opposite is true. Um, uh, in many West African cultures and indigenous cultures, North America, South America, other parts of the world uh, did not use coercion and hitting uh, to raise children. Um, They did not believe that children were property. In some West African cultures, indigenous cultures, there's no such thing as uh, people using the term my child or this this child is mine. Um, There's no ownership over children. Uh, Children had a different, were held in a different value. Um, you know, in many West African cultures, children were um, not considered born in sin as, you know, Western cultures, uh, Christian cultures believe about children's nature and humanity. So they did not believe that children were born in sin. They believed that they were born blessings, that they were gods, that they were reincarnated ancestors. The Nigerians would name their sons, you know, things like Babatunde, father has returned. Yetatunde, mother has returned. The Bang people would never put a baby on the floor because the baby was considered a god. Children were often left to their own devices. Um, you know, and so when Europeans encountered West African and other indigenous peoples and saw that their children were not being parented in the same sort of way or regarded in the same way as Europeans were regarding their own kids as savages, as, you know, animals, as not even biologically distinct from adults. They were completely perplexed by this. So they would say these people let their children run wild. So this became grafted into the racial discourse to justify enslaving people of color and colonizing them and interfering with their familial practices. And so I try to get people to understand that, you know, corporal punishment is a parenting strategy that is not native to black people, was not part of our culture's prior to contact with Europeans who took until the 16th century to recognize the differences between, you know, adults and children. And so corporal punishment or whoopings, as we like to call it in black culture, is a byproduct of historical processes of colonialism, of slavery, and our indoctrination into a bastardized form of Western Christianity. Because our ancestors who ended up on those ships, none of them were Christians. They were Muslims. They were practicing traditional West African religions, you know, worshiping Orishas, holding children in high regard. But slavery um, transitioned black children into chattel, into property. And uh, the system was able to thrive 
based on the reproduction of black children and black parents, you know, uh, preparing their kids for the harsh realities of slavery, which included coercion and violence and fear and beatings. So I, mean, I think that I think that was pretty interesting, you know, reading some of your work um, and as well as um, one of your I started reading one of your books um, about corporal punishment. And I mean, I was taken aback by how you kind of piece together that history, right? I mean, not did you piece together, but your research um, really kind of lays out how, how those historical um, traumas inform practice. But, mm-hmm. but I just find it so interesting how, despite that, right, despite knowing that it was, it was a, this violence was perpetrated um, against peoples, right, that individuals would take it up and sort of normalize that behavior. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, how do you, how, how do you figure, based on, your, based on your research, how do you think that was done or, how, or why was it done, do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, so if we go back to history, the majority of the captives who ended up on those ships were young people, children and teenagers. These were people who had not yet finished childhood and had not yet parented themselves. So, you know, when people say, we bought this over from Africa, I ask them, well, what evidence do you have? Because if we had all come from the same tribes, the same countries, spoke the same language, held the same conceptions about childhood, held the same religious conceptions, and came over here with the same universal blueprint for how to discipline children, that went uninterfered with by white people, then we could make that argument. But that's not what happened to us. Mm -hmm. And so you have a labor force, a cheap labor force system, a violent, sadistic labor force system where the majority of the captives are kids. Before 1816, by 1860, something like 40% of the people who were enslaved uh, in 1860 um, were under age 10. And so when we look across up to like age 18, the majority of folks who were enslaved were kids. And so you begin this kind of indoctrination and socialization with young people. And so um, you create a kind of elusive black parenting where you convince enslaved mothers and fathers that they have some power over their children's destiny. The only power they really had was the ability to prepare their kids for the harsh realities of slavery. It's better for me to beat you than the slave master to do it because they're going to hurt you worse. So, this extended to Jim Crow as well. Okay. I beat you so you're not lynched. And so you have the same lore continuing today when black parents say, I beat you so the cops won't do it. Then our comedians joke about it. Our preachers stand in the pulpit and preach about it. Um, you know, we have this nostalgic idea that back in the day, kids were better behaved, our communities were better, because the whole village could beat you. And so those myths are what sustain this. And people are convinced that they turned out to be good people, that they're not in jail, that they're not dead, that they're not on drugs, that they have a job, that they're successful, because somebody beat them. And again, I still, I find that fascinating. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a product of that. I mean, I, I, 
I can tell I can tell stories of when, you know, I was younger, my parent, you know, my that was a form of discipline. And essentially, I don't think it necessarily was always the first the first form of discipline. You know, I think it I think in some cases it's true families um, sort of have like an escalation. Right. I remember like, mm-hmm. OK, I'm going to give you the third, you know, this is your third warning. And then there's kind of like, you know, the setup It's like, oh, hey, you know, you, I told you this, I told you this. So this is, you know, now this is it. Like, this is the last, this is the last straw. So then you got, got to, I received a spanking. And I mean, I remember like, yeah, I didn't like them. But again, I think too, I, I, I have fallen into that perpetuating the myth about, you know, yeah, I came out, you know, I can say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fairly successful, I'm an educated woman and I'm a product of that, that parenting. And I'm just wondering, what would you say about, say to some to some families, and I guess in defense of, you know, continuing the use of corporal punishment again, not only the fact that their child or them they themselves were you know successful and are doing well in society, but the fact that maybe you know what if they had a loving home, they were loving parents, and does that sort of maybe offset some of the the, neg- the negative impact Absolutely not. of the corporal punishment. Absolutely not. This has been an argument that has actually even been made in a few black professional circles. Okay. What, is, what you're describing is trauma bonding. Okay. It's, you know, you know, I'll hear parents say, well, you know, I give warnings first, just as you've outlined, mm-hmm. or I sit down and talk to my child and tell them why I'm going to hit them, which sounds sadistic to me because it's like once you've sat down – and had this conversation, where do you get the, you know, the drive to then go ahead and, and hit anyway? Um, you know, or, um, you know, I, I hit, I spank my kid and then I hug them afterwards and tell them and talk to them and tell them why, you know, I had to do what I had to do. And so what happens is when you're doing this to a child whose brain is developing between age zero and 24, that's the brain development period, and, you know, you're causing this negative biofeedback in your child's body, cortisol, fight-or-flight response, mm-hmm. um, which can also lead to inflammation in the body and chronic health issues that, you know, pediatricians like yourself and other doctors see in their exam rooms. But psychologically, you've got this person who is supposed to love and protect you, telling you that I hit you because I want to protect you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting your body to keep you safe. I'm hurting your body to prevent somebody else from hurting your body even more. Um, I'm, I'm hitting you because I love you. It's trauma bonding. It's helping a child's brain to rationalize and make friends with and justify, you know, assaults against their body. And no other type of relationship would we make this type of argument, never. And so that's why you get so many people who grow up and say, oh, well, I was bad. Mm-hmm. I deserved it. Um, I'm successful today because somebody beat me. I'm not in jail today because somebody beat me. It's, in, it's brainwashing. It's akin to Stockholm Syndrome. And it also falls in line with the slave master's logic, that the only way to make black people successful law-abiding, civilized, you know, good people is to process their bodies through violence. So for black folks doing this, this is a form of internalized racism. And it's hard for people to look back at their parents and say, you know, that hurt. I didn't like it. I know my parents loved me, but when they hit me, it didn't feel like love. It damaged me. 
perhaps today I have emotional regulation issues because I was hit as a kid. Perhaps I might have some, you know, health problems, obesity, you know, uh, diabetes, uh, migraines, joint issues, all of those things that we talk about when we talk about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, can be directly tied back to the toxic stress that they experienced growing up in households where they may have been verbally abused. Um, they may have always had to be hypervigilant because the specter of violence was always there, that somebody put their hands on them. Um, so we, we need to start looking at this in a holistic way uh, and, and acknowledging, you know, if we're going to heal, if we're going to change behavior, we've got to first admit that we were traumatized. But it's taboo in our culture to look back at our parents and say, they hurt us. They did this thing that was not good for our health, was not good for our, our, our spirit, not good for our emotions, not good for our communities because you've got traumatized kids who are being hit and then they go into the streets and they're violent. They're in school. They bully. They don't listen. Their cognition is off because they can't learn, you know, um, because we also know based on the science that hitting children reduces, you know, gray matter in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, all this you need for executive functioning and learning and so on. So it's a much more complicated discussion than, well, you know, I have a PhD. I have a job. I've never been to jail. Mm-hmm. I turned out fine. It must have been all the whoopings. So, but what I think what's also interesting in doing some of the research for the podcast and also the research um, that that undergirds the AAP policy is that that there's still a high number of high percentage of Americans across the board racially um, mm-hmm. that still, you know, think that. Corporal punishment is effective. So, how do you how do you address that issue? Unfortunately, I think in some of the studies, like you citing your in some of your articles, um, a Pew study, 2015 Pew study, and there's also a Child Trends study in 20, from 2016 that showed that African American females and males um, have higher percentages versus other racial groups for thinking that maybe spanking is effective. But again, across the board, it's still a high percentage. So, how do you how do you talk to parents or the, the argument against corporal punishment um, for the effects on African-Americans, but other communities are also using corporal punishment. So, yes, it's true that corporal punishment is, you know, a parenting practice that spans race and ethnicity. Um, upwards of 80% of Americans uh, admit to hitting their kids. We have 18 states that allow uh, paddling in public schools. Uh, those are primarily in the South where the uh, biggest proportion of black children attend schools. And they're also the former states that, they're, they're also states that had high numbers of lynchings in the past, so it mm-hmm. correlates in that way. Um, uh, every state, with the exception of Iowa and New Jersey, allows corporal punishment in private and charter schools. So we are a country that, you know, it, it continues to embrace hitting children. It is legal. Every state has a law that defines how you can appropriately strike a child's body, just like it used to be uh, for women who were hit by their husbands. There were laws to show you how to do it the proper way. Um, mm-hmm. it, we are a violent country. Our founding was violent. It is the lifeblood of this country. You cannot reproduce certain kinds of 
hierarchies, racial hierarchies, gender hierarchies, and so on, without first destroying children. A white supremacist society requires that children are destroyed uh, physically, intellectually, and spiritually so that they grow up to recycle the logics of inequality and, and discrimination and so on. I point out to folks that there are over 80 countries where corporal punishment against children is banned everywhere, in schools, in the home, and so on. Um, there's about 100 that ban it in, um, in schools. Um, so what those countries are seeing is less violence, less bullying, uh, lower suicide rates, uh, and so on. And so we are a country that refuses to, to make the connections between, you know, this kind of violent child rearing and public health outcomes, uh, juvenile justice outcomes, what's happening in schools, um, you know, and so on. So, yes, this is something that spans uh, different cultures, but my primary focus, and I've been unapologetic about it, is focusing on what this has done to African Americans. And uh, white folks have Dr. Spock and have, you know, other scholars and advocates who have been exploring this issue since the 1960s. Um, and, and, and when I have looked at those works, I've looked in the footnotes, the indexes of their books, all of that, and they don't talk about African Americans and how we've come to this. So I'm unapologetic about focusing on what this means and what it has done and its eradication from our communities because there's a different kind of historical specificity to the problem within African American communities. Our kids and our families uh, are living in communities that are under hyper-surveillance by law enforcement and social services. We have a fatality rate that is three times higher. This is as a result of child maltreatment. A fatality rate is three times higher than any other racial group uh, in this country. Um, our parents are more likely to be prosecuted for child abuse. Um, our kids are more likely to be placed in foster care and, and placed in foster care longer. The foster care system is another pipeline to the juvenile justice and adult prison systems. Our kids who end up in foster care as a result of abuse and neglect are more likely to be given psychotropic medications uh, to manage the grief and trauma uh, reactions um, uh, that they experience. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very clear that my focus is black people when it comes to this issue. Now, I, I, think, it, I think it's definitely important um, to share, and I think that's why, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do the, to do the podcast, right, is because it's like I think what we, what we as, as a community think of as or identify with our culture, like you said, is you, we have to understand like what are some of the roots, root causes for how we, how we develop practices and why we, why we continue to, to do them to sometimes to a, to a fault, but also some people still unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, some people still see this as a important tool for them to use in parenting. But I guess the, I guess the other thing is that for, for the awareness that's built, and if we tell parents, um, you know what, that's not an effective practice, then I think there's, there's got to there's gotta be the alternative. So, mm -hmm. how, so what strategies do you suggest 
especially even for, you know, to inform even myself as a pediatrician, because I'm sure, you know, I'll have conversations um, with friends and family. And I think it, for me, it's rare for, and even in my experience, you know, having kids and taking them to the pediatrician, this, this, this doesn't come up in conversation. I don't think, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm just trying to figure, and I, and I love the fact um, in one of your articles for the American Psychological Association, you talk about um, providing, you know, this cultural competency for psychologists, right, to understand this historical underpinning. So I'm just wondering if maybe that's one of the strategies as well. I'm just trying to figure out how can we even, you know, how do you inform, you know, as pediatricians or even parents even kind of talk about this or feel comfortable or any individuals to kind of talk about the trauma that they've experienced or these experiences so that we can get to the point that we can, as a, you know, kind of reform new practices, new cultural Mm -hmm. norms that are protective Mm -hmm. and affirming of children. Mm -hmm. And and it's a a great question. And and it requires a holistic approach. So for me, uh, as a journalist and as a, a trained historian, you know, the first step is getting to the roots and asking those important questions. Why do we do this? Why do we laugh about it? Why do we preach about it? Why do we believe that it brings, you know, hitting children brings them to a respectable place in our community? Why do we believe that, you know, it keeps, it, that hitting our children will keep them out of prison? Because, quite frankly, if, you know, beating but black children kept black people out of prisons. It's not working very well for us because we're having national conversations about police brutality and mass incarceration. Why do I hear parents say, well, I beat you so the cops won't kill you. But when I look at the data from, let's say, between 2013 and 2016, you know, police officers killed a total of 23 black children during that same time period, black people killed over 1,500 children as a result of maltreatment. So the numbers don't, it's not adding up. It's all counterintuitive. So part of the work is interrogating the myths with facts, um, you know, uh, talking about the historical roots, you know, uh, educating black folks about what parenting on the other side of the diaspora looked like mm-hmm. before we encountered white people. How did we think about our kids? What language did we use? How did we deal with them spiritually? How did we feed them? Um, you know, how did we talk to them? And then how these racial processes changed all of that. And how we had to de- we develop maladaptive behaviors, which at one time might have been seen as survival, but then it became maladaptive and then harmful to the development of our children, to our com- the health of our communities, and and so forth. Um, that means engaging this conversation, having this conversation in community settings, which is what I do, places like New Orleans and Oakland and Baltimore and. And, and, so, and such. Um, so educating folks about the history, the historical roots across, you know, the 400 years that we've been in this country and um, uh, giving them the public health data in a way that they understand. So, you know, if you believe that you've got to beat your kid because the police are killing, let's look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the numbers on this side versus, so what are the facts? Let's talk about the school-to-prison pipeline. How is beating your kid putting them at risk, 
not only for abuse and a fatality, but also, you know, setting them up, uh, you know, when they go to a predominantly white-run school system um, that is already designed to have teachers in place who have their own biases against our kids and interpretation of their behavior that's also set up to traumatize them. How does this affect their cognition, their ability to focus, uh, engage in conflict re- resolution with other kids, and then if they, they're coming into schools with those deficits because you're beating them at home, then, you know, this sets them up for suspension, expulsion, and, you know, arrests in schools, all right? So I, 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 I take a very holistic approach to understanding all this. Let's look at how our preachers, what are our preachers saying? You know, um, spare the rod, spoil the child. Well, that's not even in the Bible. It's not even a Bible verse. See, and that I, was, so, that I was surprised about, right, because I know I, I, mean, I grew up with that mantra, I'll call it a mantra, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely found that interesting, right? Because, again, again, I think, like you said, like these myths that we grow up learning mm-hmm. about, and then it's kind of like you're confronted with, oh, my God, that is not true. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. it's kind of... Yeah, and it's hard. And it's it's yeah. traumatizing. It's traumatizing to a lot of people. Because basically when somebody like me comes up there and says, let me dissect all this for you. I'm basic. Some people, what they hear is, she's calling my mama a liar. She's calling big mama a liar. She's calling my preacher a liar. She's calling my black identity into question. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, and then if you've hit your kid, then now you're wading through all this shame and guilt. And so you, got, you get defensive. You want to defend your mama, your parents, yourself. Right? And, and then, so then I get accused of, you know, all kinds of things, you know, um, uh, self-hating, you know, airing dirty laundry, all that kind of stuff, when really my work comes from a place of love, you know. And so you, that, the biggest part of this, the first step is dispelling all of the myths. And unfortunately, far too many of us in this country have no understanding of history. And people don't read history. They don't read anymore. Uh, they don't understand these processes, right? And then once you understand the foundation and then, you, you know, you bring folks to the present and say, okay, why do our comedians joke about, you know, beating babies, whether it's Kevin Hart, whether it's, um, you know, Bernie Mac, you know, Bruce Bruce, or some of these other comedians? Why is that funny? Why do we laugh at pe- grown-ups doing violence to black children at different developmental stages. Why? And, you know, and interrogate that. Our ministers, why do they misinterpret scripture? You know, why do they use a Bible that was not native to our West African ancestors to promote violence against children? And what are the consequences? So we have to go through, you do a kind of like a cultural autopsy on this, to interrogate all of this. Now, with the pediatricians, unfortunately, what I have found, and I've done a number of grand rounds at, you know, medical schools like Columbia University, uh, Tulane Children's Hospital. Um, so I've done a number of these grand rounds, and I have been absolutely stunned to discover that many pediatricians, veteran pediatricians, and even residents have never even been trained on ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. that they have not been taught 
the physiological and psychological side effects of corporal punishment. Like they don't know the connection between, you know, fight or flight and its impact on, you know, digestion and elimination and the heart and brain development and, and all an inflammation in the body. Like I'm, I'm not a medical person and I'm standing up there teaching pediatricians on how to become familiar with the, you know, side effects corporal punishment, and then how you talk to families, how you have that conversation very quickly and efficiently and in a non-judgmental manner with parents, you know, in the exam room. And so many of them think, oh, well, you got to talk to the blacks and the Latinos and the Chinese and the whites differently about this. No, you don't. A brain is a brain is a brain is a brain. You talk to parents about the harms of hitting the same way you would do when you talk about smoking around a kid or lead, you know, paint exposure, you know, or whatever. It is a health issue. And to remain silent about the harms that hitting a child can have on their development, their intellectual development, emotional, psychological, physical development, is against that, what is that, you know, do no harm? The silence is doing harm to these kids. And so pediatricians need to be trained on the basic science that's been in, you know, the, the, the research literature for over 50 years. They've got to be trained on ACEs. That, that's the next step. And so when pediatricians lead this charge, you know, with parents and say, hey, this, let, me, let me show you this diagram of your child's body. This is what happens to their heart. This is what happens to their the pupils when they're afraid. You know, they dilate. This is what happens, you know, in terms of these hormonal rushes that happen through the body. Because a lot of people think about this as abuse. If you don't leave a scar on a child's body, if you don't break a bone, there's no visible sign of injury, then it's not abuse. But the brain, the heart, the immune system tell a completely different story. And pediatricians must become familiar with that and graph that into their narrative during wellness visits with, with, with parents. I think, I, mean, I think that's important. I think, you know, like you said, that holistic approach um, and really addressing all stages of that child's development and welfare and their, their different points throughout their, throughout their lifestyle in terms of family social interactions as well as, you know, interactions with the, with the health system, which I think, which I think is important. And I, I very much appreciate um, your time today to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to inform and provide information and uplift. Cause I think it's true. I think people have to, have to, have to, have to know to do, to do things differently, right? They have to know what the alternatives are. And I think this, mm-hmm. this is the beginning of the conversation and I'm looking to continue the conversation with, um, some of my some some of my pediatric colleagues um, to to dive into this topic a little bit more. But again, I thank you so much for all your work um, and for for your time today. And I so appreciate the work you're doing and that you're continuing this conversation. And I, as I said, I believe pediatricians, particularly Black pediatricians, can really have a powerful role in you know uh, addressing this public health issue. The health of our, our kids uh, and our communities uh, depend on how we treat them, and, you know, how we treat their bodies, um, you know, while they're young. Uh, if we're going to grow 
a, a, a new generation of black folks who will thrive, who will be able to confront racism and systemic inequalities, their bodies have to be healthy. Their minds have to be healthy. Their sense of themselves have to be built up and strong. Um, so you all play a, a huge role in, you know, reversing all of this trauma that has been recycled through the generations. So I'm, I'm really happy that you're having this discussion, and I appreciate the invitation. And I think what's nice is that I think you succinctly said everything. It brought to mind um, that famous Frederick Douglass quote, right? It's easier to build strong children mm-hmm. than to repair broken men. Yep. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is the beginning of of that for many families that they can they'll, they'll have those tools, those newer tools and knowledge, so that they can help um, build build up their for their children to be strong. Mm-hmm. Definitely, most definitely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Patton. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of What is Black Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Until next time.